0: to use a combination of contemporary psychology and traditional buddhist psychology one could construct an understanding of why we turn certain experiences into resentments as follows in life we in early life we have experiences that are vulnerable uh, experiences where we find a parent abandoning where we feel a sudden insecurity. And everything that we associate with that experience, we tag as threatening. These parts of us become exiled, as one great psychologist Richard Schwartz calls it, or Freud called it repressed. We take everything that we associate with abandonment and vulnerability and we push it away. We experience separation, we experience loss, and the mind exiles it expels it from consciousness, doesn't want to think about, doesn't want to know about. Everything associated with that early abandonment becomes toxic, is labeled as something we cannot allow ourselves to remember, to be in touch with, to know about. I'm going to refer to that as the exiled. Secondly, there's another part of us in the mind that Freud referred to as the ego. American psychologists such as Masterson and Schwartz et al., uh, and other British psychologists as uh, Winnicott, referred to as the self. And that's the part of the mind that observes experience, takes in life, and obs- just is aware. The Buddha called it sati. The w- wise part of the mind that observes life those are two parts there are more parts of the mind even than that and every every major school of psychology presents the mind as not a single element but as a experience that has many many parts some of which we're aware of and some of which we're not and the Buddha did as well so the third part of the mind besides the observer and the exiled is what could be called ego defenses or coping strategies the Buddha called it clinging Upadana that we go to in life as coping strategies so that we never have to go through the vulnerable experiences again and those three beyond the, the basic sensual Attachments. The three are views and opinions about the way the world should be, views and opinions about our preferences, and views and opinions about ourselves. A lot of these practices and routines that we develop are things that really look good to other people. They're coping strategies, they'll make us popular. And we, to a certain degree, if we keep them in balance, there's nothing wrong with them. But Many of us over-rely on our coping strategies so we never have to be in contact with the exiled, vulnerable experiences that trigger us. Don't worry, I'm going to give you concrete examples of all this so it'll be easier to follow. I like to refer to the coping strategies or clinging as consultants, by the way. The experts that tell us what to do, that make us look good, and they keep us in line. Schwartz called them uh, managers. I, I find that a little dry. I like consultants. (laughs) And the fourth part of the mind is defense mechanisms, which are completely unskillful, maladaptive strategies. Buddha called it Vibhavatana, V-I-B-H-A-V-A-Tana, T-A-N-H-A. And these are the strategies that at all costs want to get rid of. The repressed. If your coping strategies don't work, the things and habits and routines and views and opinions that you have, don't get rid of the expelled. If it still starts to arise, if you're still beginning to feel those vulnerable experiences of loss and abandonment and vulnerability then we rely on our defense mechanisms. Schwartz called them firefighters. I prefer to use SWAT teams because I think that firefighters are generally good people. So, And I, I allow myself to have judgments about SWAT teams. So uh, so I think of the mind as having the consultants and the SWAT teams that are there to get rid of the exiled. Those feelings and parts that we decide are just too vulnerable for us to experience. So I'm going to give you some examples of the work that I've done with people over the years. None none of the the people that I'm working with currently, these are all very old, but um, one person had extreme anger at a roommate who had insinuated that they would pay her for taking care of the roommate's cat while she was away. When the roommate came back, she didn't give her any money. And it was only going to be a very small amount of money, but the the person I was working with, she kept thinking about it over and over and over and over and over again, even though it might have amassed to, she said, at most, $20. But she couldn't, <laughs> she couldn't let it go. Another, actually, was um, another a case of a person who, it's another pet story, I like them, um, had a, put their dog in a kennel, and while the kennel people weren't looking, what could happen anytime, time, the dog was bit somewhere on the face, And even though she was understanding, because in fact the dog had been been bitten in the park in a dog run, she still didn't want to use the kennel again. But when she would come to meet with me, she again and again and again explained... And, and justify her, her decision not to use the kennel even though it was totally her right third case is about a musician I knew a talented songwriter who was in a band and they played almost all of its songs except for one song they didn't want to play and he became furious and wanted to fire every member of the band because one song and he was the, the songwriter of everything but one song they didn't want to play All of these seem to be different, but in fact, they all have a very sort of common underlying mechanism. When the exiled experience that we don't want to feel starts to arise, the first thing that the the consultant will do is it will kick up all those views and opinions about the way that the world should be. It will basically tell us uh, the way we should act. So you go through, for example, a breakup. And you might have a voice in your mind that says, that'll teach me forever being in a relationship or ever dating or ever meeting somebody that way or ever sharing my heart with anybody. So the views and opinions that keep the vulnerable experience of a breakup and the feeling of being abandoned, they keep that at bay so that we don't have to feel them, which are largely in the body. They're largely embodied feelings where we store these exiled experiences in the body. So we don't have to feel the vulnerable exiled experience we go into the stories about the way we should have been. I shouldn't have done that, or the way the world should be. Nobody should ever break up with anybody, ever. <laughs> and so we know when our coping strategies are being repressive, when they become extreme, and we can't let go of them, and they start filling up the mind. The strategy is, of course, to get in contact, to be able to allow your <laughs> observing part of your mind to, to reconnect with that which you've repressed and exiled. But how do we do that? In my work, uh, in my experience, the most valuable way is to get people to visualize each part of the mind, the consultants, the SWAT teams, to feel them even, what does it feel like when I'm in that speech-making mind (laughs) about the way I should have been so that I don't have to feel my sadness, feel my vulnerability, feel all those difficult feelings. What does that character look like that makes all those inner speeches? And can I ask that character to step aside so that I can separate the observer from the consultant and the SWAT team? We tend to blend the ego with the ego defense system so we can't tell apart you know, what is necessary in our lives from all the defenses we've constructed so we never have to feel pain. So I'm going to walk you through this so it's easier to follow so, the person who was angry at the roommate for not giving her money for feeding the cat while she was away, I said to her when she was going into the speech about the roommate and how terrible the roommate was and how everybody should always get paid and recognized for everything they do, and how uh, you know, nobody should ever, ever promise something and then go back on their promise. And all those speeches, I said, can you visualize when you're in that speech-making mode about the way the world should be, can you, can you visualize what that consultant looks like? And she said, okay, she pictured herself when she was much younger and when she started making those inner speeches. And I said, okay, can you ask that consultant, you can even give it a name, but can you ask it to sit by you and, and separate itself from you so that you can just feel what it's like to be without all that inner speech making about the way the world should be and the way people should behave and the way everything should always go according to your preferences and the way you should never ever be vulnerable with people. She said, okay. And then I asked what came up and an older an older story about how she had worked in this job for a very long time with this woman who never recognized her skills, all her efforts, all that she had done and didn't give her a promotion, even though she worked very hard for it. When we contacted that experience, all the consultants reared back up again, because they're always what we immediately feel. She, I asked if she would put aside all those, because she had a speech about how all bosses should always recognize everything that any employee ever does. So again, the extreme views that were keeping the exiled feelings of being unappreciated at bay. So I said, can you put that that voice aside again and can you just tell me what it feels like to not be recognized by your boss? And then what happened is she went away for a while. It was the summer. And when she came back, she said that being with those feelings kicked up this desire for the first (coughs) time to drink in a long time. It kicked up the SWAT team that I've got to get rid of these feelings at all costs. Mm -hmm. Generally, the SWAT team is getting wasted, getting drunk, withdrawing, isolating, throwing temper tantrums, panic attacks, anything to not feel... The exile feelings. We knew that we were onto something because when you start to see the SWAT team come up, that means you're getting closer to the exile. The first people that come up are the consultants, but when you dig a little deeper, then the SWAT team comes up and they're like, I got a drink, I can't face this, I can't be with this feeling, I can't be with it. And, and that's when a lot of people turn away. And that's really where it's most important to continue on. So we dug deeper, and then what we finally found was beneath it, when she was six years old, There was a divorce in the family and the lack of the father being available left her and her um, sibling with a mother who was deeply overstretched and suddenly couldn't pay attention because she had to not only work, but she had to do all the stuff. The father just completely disappeared and didn't do any caretaking. He moved cross-country, and so she was essentially with a mother who suddenly withdrew all of her attention. And so we found the exile, which was the caretaker who for a while gave attention and love and compassion, who suddenly withdrew it. And So being in any experience where she felt unappreciated, unappreciated reminded her of the most vulnerable moment in her life. She associated any moment, any experience where she wasn't appreciated would kick up the feeling of the loss of attention and love from the mother. And so, when we could be with, and her observer could be with that exiled feeling of abandonment, what what, ma- what she managed to achieve was um, she managed to then be in relationships with people where she stopped demanding attention and she stopped caring if she didn't get it, because she could be with the dreaded, the exile, the expelled feeling. And once you can do that, all the things that all the way we've organized our lives not to feel those feelings suddenly our over-reliance on our coping mechanisms fall away. And we can use our coping mechanisms with intelligence, but we don't over-rely on them. So I'll give you an example of that. The musician I was talking about who got furious with his... um, bandmates for not wanting to play the one song. When we traced it back, we found at the core a very early feeling in his childhood that he couldn't connect with his father emotionally through language. He would try to express his feelings and his dad never understood or could connect with him, never mirrored his emotions or in any way seemed to appreciate what he was trying to get across. So, as a compensation tool, and most of our coping strategies are compensatory, he started to rely on playing a guitar as a safer way to get appreciation from his father and to get appreciation from other kids at school. But because of that, he never ever had to develop his ability to express his emotions. He gave up and used music as a coping strategy so that he didn't have to develop the skill of emotionally conveying his, expre- his experience through language and, and, you know, signaling. You can't play a guitar every moment of your life. It's not going to work. <laughs> Eventually, you're going to be in a relationship with somebody and they're going to pull away their attention. And so what would he do? He would use drugs. As a SWAT team, when his coping mechanism, the guitar playing, failed and he felt once again, the lack of connection emotionally with people. He would rely on drugs as a way to get rid of the feeling of not being seen and emotionally able to express himself. So what we worked on was finding him relationships with people where he felt safe enough to express his emotions. Finally, the woman who was asking my permission again and again and again to fire her kennel, (laughs) she grew up in a family with an anxious father who was a bit of a, who, who wasn't a very good model, he perceived himself as a failure in life, and he was very anxious for her to be perfect and succeed. and so he second-guessed every decision she made. And so in life, she developed a coping strategy of whenever she would make any decision, she would have to justify it to anybody she respected, including myself. And so we worked on giving her permission to make decisions without justifying it at all. And having her feel, what does it feel like to allow herself not to care? And even to hold the possibility that I might disagree, but still I would always be there for her. The way forward to get people out of the resentment, out of the lingering obsession, was to connect with the repressed, exiled dukkha that was thought to be too toxic to be felt. But when we do feel it, we find, in fact, that we survive, we don't die. But we all have to feel and reconnect with those feelings of abandonment those feelings of not being loved, those moments in time where we felt completely vulnerable, and everything in our life we've associated with it—the not getting appreciated, appreciated, having people disagree with us, uh, feeling uh, that you know uh, that our skills are not being seen—we got. We have to go into that which is most frightening, so that we don't organize our lives around compensatory you know coping strategies that keep us so walled off from parts of ourselves and they don't work anyway no matter how good how wonderful you play your guitar no matter how much you justify yourself no matter how um, much appreciation you get from other people in your life you will still have to get in touch with those feelings of vulnerability I know I have once I was changing my therapist from this guy John to Choda, who was um, a Buddhist therapist. I, I was tired of conventional therapy, and I wanted to be in Buddhist therapy. And my therapist John was very understanding, but he said, "I'd like to have one more meeting with you, just as a you know, a final one." And I became furious in my mind. What right does he have? I have to pay for this. I'm the blah 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 blah. Therapists should always do what their clients say. He should never ask me. This is outrageous. So extreme views. Obviously, I'm keeping at bay the repressed. And when I went in there, I started reverting to the justifying myself. You know, I'm a Buddhist, and I really want to work with Chodo, and blah, blah, blah. He's like, relax. It's totally okay. You're allowed to change therapists. I just wanted to have the closure of a final meeting. And I was just like, I saw right then and there all of the the strategies I erected so that I didn't have to feel something. What I didn't want to feel was I grew up with a father who was very controlling at times, and he would have these arbitrary decisions. I had to learn to uh, go out hiking with him. One day he he decided he wanted to to hunt with arrows, and I didn't want to do that. Uh, (laughs) And he dragged me out. I was seven... He dragged me out with arrows, and he tried to shoot something, and he missed, thank heavens. And, but I was, you know, I took that, like, oh, I'm stuck with these men that come up with these arbitrary decisions, so I, I, I avoided, like, the plague interacting with any man who I felt was, my, that was one of my tools. And when I was with men that would make decisions I disagreed with, I'd launch into these inner speeches about how unfair and wrong they were to the point that I wasn't actually seeing what was actually happening. So I got in touch with that kid that was frustrated with his father, and I nurtured him, and I gave him, I I promised myself that I would keep him safe, and from that point on, it's been so much easier. I work with still a lot of people that can be pretty arbitrary at times, and I, I managed to not turn it into the resentments that I used to there's an excellent chance that a lot of this stuff that I've been talking about that creates the exiled will be, the original experience will be unavailable, but the feelings will always be available. So really, it's just asking ourselves what is beneath all this? And even if you don't come up with a core experience, you can feel, when, and you'll know when you're feeling, when you've hit pay dirt because... The exile, when we connect with it, it, fe- it arises with waves of discomfort at first. It feels really unpleasant. It's not like the tight ch- belly of fear. It's more like the waves of, you know, mm-hmm. like... It's almost like feels like toxic waves, because it's been we've been pushing it down in the body for so long. It becomes so dysregulated, and so it's been kept in the shadows... And in the the basement and out of awareness for so long that when we first connect with it, it's just it can feel a little overwhelming. You'll definitely know when you found it because it's not just some tightness in the body. It's it it can be like a kind of like waves of contraction going up the body. It can feel like like a kind of nausea in the throat or a sudden waves of contraction in the shoulders something very powerful that, and it's generally an energy that's rising up because we've been pushing it down we've been keeping it in a body that we've been abandoning for so long and when we connect with it it feels like something's arising people try to use in my experience forgiveness and compassion as a go-to all the time whenever we have a resentment we think, well, the Buddhist solution must be forgiveness and compassion In my experience, forgiveness and compassion definitely have a role, but the role is always after we connect with the feelings that are beneath it. If I try to forgive someone before I find out what's beneath the resentment, it's a false forgiveness. It's a spiritual bypass. It's not real. It's a waste that I don't... It's just another coping mechanism to keep me from connecting with the exile. So I need to find and connect with what is that thing I don't want to feel. Each time I visualize those inner speech makers and I ask them to step aside and I say, okay, what is it like to not be appreciated, to not be seen? What does that feel like? And each time I find that when I'm there and I just say yes to the feeling and I hold it, the feeling becomes a little less traumatic. The great neuroscientist Joseph Ledoux noted that every time we bring to mind a memory, if we think about it in a relaxed state and without resistance, we change how traumatic the memory is. So every time I, I bring up the ex- exiled and expelled, the vulnerable, and I say, yes, yes, you're allowed, yes, I go deeper. I'm actually changing it from that which I cannot hold to that which I can be with. So, I'm just going to conclude with a very brief meditation where we're going to connect briefly with our own exile. Just to show you what this might be like. So, closing the eyes. And I'd like you to bring to mind a recent experience with somebody that was disappointing that caused your thoughts to activate, that caused your mind to start to fire up with resentments. So see if you can reconnect with some of the stories that immediately popped up. They might be a story about the way people should be. So somebody's mistreated you or acted unskillfully or done something that you don't appreciate. And there might be this story about the world and the way people should behave. And can you visualize either what that character looks like or can you find that voice in the body or just feel what it's like to be in that that state of the inner diatribe? And then can you ask that voice just to sit beside you. It doesn't have to leave the room, but to sit beside you and just see if you can connect with something vulnerable that appears when you don't resort to adding the story about the way the world should be. And then see if there's a view and opinion about yourself I'm the one who doesn't get love. I'm the one who doesn't get acknowledged. I'm the one who isn't seen. I'm the one who is alone. I'm the one who isn't taken care of. I'm the one... And just notice that and see if you can visualize that view as well. And ask that view to sit beside you and feel what's even beneath that. Just the vulnerable feeling in the body that lies beneath all of the thoughts that we've draped on top so that we don't have to feel. And you might not connect with it now. This is just an example. This is something that you can practice. And it might take a while, but in my experience the more we go back again and again and ask what's beneath these thoughts and see if we can find something in the body that needs to be contacted, we can reconnect with that that really buried feelings from the really abandoned child or disappointed child that just needs a little care. And rather than expelling or exiling that feeling, we can actually protect it and re-welcome it into our heart. And just concluding with an image of ourself at whatever age feels resonant, vulnerable, needing love, needing care. And rather than abandoning that experience, just sending it meta. May you find the peace and security